0: Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter, uh, Luke, to John chapter 17. That reading from Luke has thrown me off base here. John 17. We're wrapping up what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The prayer in, in Matthew and Luke, I think, could more accurately be called the model prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is the longest prayer that's recorded, longest prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ to his Father that's recorded for us. And he's praying for us. He's praying, Father, keep those that you've given me. I've been keeping them while I was here, but guard us from the seductions and the lies of Satan. We see that in verse 11. So that joy, the Lord Jesus' joy might be completed and fulfilled in us. We see that in verse 13. He prays, Father, sanctify us. We see that in verse 17. In other words, separate us from the world, from the world's antagonism, that natural antagonism we heard about this morning from Jonathan. Separate us from that. And set us apart for yourself. Change our hearts, change our minds to be like yours. Set us apart for your good pleasure. Set us apart for your will. Set us apart for your salvation from all the the world, from all the sinners in the world. Jesus prays, Father, set them apart for your salvation, for your comfortable fellowship. Mm, What a thought. And he also prays that the Father will leave us here as a testimony to his grace and love. That we're left here as proof that he converts. That, that we're a testimony to that, the wonder of real conversion. Uh, conversion of notorious sinners. <laughs> like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. They had five husbands... You get tired of one, you, you divorce him. This Hollywood divorce, you know, serial divorce. Legalized fornication. You get tired of one husband, you divorce him. You get tired of another husband, you divorce him. You get tired of the, the next one, you divorce him. you finally given up with, why even go through the problem and, and the, the bother of marriage? I'm just living with a guy now. But he converted her. In Luke chapter 19, we have Zacchaeus. And I love Zacchaeus uh, Zacchaeus, the most notorious traitor in his community because he's working for the Romans and he's extorting tax money out of his fellow Jews taxing them far beyond what they ought to be taxed just to lie in his own pocket not only that, he's the chief tax collector, he has, he, he's part of Amway he has others working under him extorting from their their Jewish brothers and sisters and it's just what we talked about. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he converted Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus made this public confession of his sins. And Jesus says even now he is a son of Abraham. Wow. Mm. Ah, and me. <laughs> Notorious sinners. He converted me. I was thinking about it this afternoon when I was waking up from my nap. That I have to. Lord, I have to be converted because I am converted, I am changed, I'm different, and I certainly wouldn't be this way if you hadn't done it, because I sure did love my sins, even the sins that were killing me, until you changed my heart. And you he also, there's a testimony to the wonder of conversion in good neighbors. Think about Martha, Mary, Lazarus, they're not notorious sinners they're good Jews but they're lost they're lost and yet when they're converted the, you see their amazing loyalty to the Lord Jesus you know, the the religion police are looking for him if anybody knows where he is let us know so we can seize him well he's just a few miles outside of Jerusalem at their house And all of his disciples are at their house. And everybody knows he's at their house. Because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're throwing a big meal. A big party for him. In the face. Within a few miles. Of those who want to kill him. And want to kill Lazarus. This loyalty that they have. To the Lord Jesus. You realize we don't hear anything about Mary, Martha and Lazarus. After that incident. I wonder if. Saul of Tarsus visited them during the persecution of the church but I know that they would remain loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ if he had the testimony of God converting people Mm. Uh, I, I get the voice of the martyrs prayer list every Friday. They'll have always have three requests for prayer. And it's amazing how in the last year, how many times Laos has come up. And you have brothers and sisters in Laos that, for instance, I'm, I wish I could find it. Usually I, I read them, I pray for them, and then I discard it after, after that week because I get a new one every week. And I give them to the folks in our, our Bible study on Thursday night to pray. But I, I wish I could remember the man's name. But a Laotian, Laotian farmer. He and his family came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through a Laotian evangelist that came through their village. He was uh, he he had high a place of high esteem in his village, and the village headman had already told them that it was his plan to make him his successor, to make this new Laotian Christian his successor. The only condition was he needed to give up this foreign religion and return to the the animistic religion of his ancestors. And he wouldn't. He said, how can I deny my God? How can I deny him who saved me? And he lost his position. He lost his fields. He lost his house. He and his family have to live out In the woods outside of town under a tarp now. But he is a continuing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ living there. Just staying there. Because everybody knows why he's out there. And he won't give up. He won't give up because where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Mm. So tonight, the Lord Jesus has been praying for us. He's been praying these things for us. And We're going to cover the final two requests he has for us. I originally planned to finish out the chapter. That's not going to happen. So we're going to look at the remaining two prayers requests that the Lord Jesus has for us. So look at verses 20 through 24. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. But for those also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them. And you and me that they may be perfected in my translation says unity. The word is one that they may be perfected or completed in one. But we'll stick with unity this evening so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father. Father. I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Mm. Two requests, two final requests that the Lord asks from his father. The first one is that all of his disciples may be one. That everyone who receives him as Lord may be one. One. The other one is that all who have received him as Lord, all who have been converted by grace, all who bow the knee to Jesus as Yahweh, may be with him and see him in his glory. So let's deal with the first of these final two requests in verse 21. That we may be one. He says, I do not ask in verse 20 on behalf of these alone, that is the eleven. But for those also who believe in me through their word. Which is every other Christian that's ever been converted. in since this prayer was prayed. We've all been converted through the testimony of the apostles. Because we've all been converted through the testimony of the gospels which they wrote. And he says I'm praying for them. That they may all be one. One. Or as verse 23 says in the LSB, that they may be completed in unity. So what's he asking for here? He wants all of his people to be one people, united in doctrine. United in what we believe about him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. United in what we believe about ourselves. That we are the sinners that Jesus came to seek and to save. To believe how desperately we all need him. To believe about his grace. That we are saved by faith in Christ plus nothing. John 6.40, this is the will of my Father who has sent me, that all who see the Son and believe in Him will have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. They will have eternal life because we see Him and we believe in Him. We see the face of Jesus through the Word of God. And then we believe What the apostles have recorded for us here about him. He is who he says he is. Mm. But it's a unity that's not only a unity in doctrine. It's more essential than that. It's a unity in what we are. See, there in those verses, he compares our oneness With his oneness with the Father. Now of course. We know that. The essential oneness. The essential unity. The essential sameness. Of the Father and the Son. Is in essence. And that's unique. But in a way. There is an essential unity. An essential oneness. Among us among all who have received Jesus. It's a spiritual unity. It's a spiritual oneness. Now, the unity, the oneness of the Father and the Son is spiritual. It's uniquely spiritual. It's the Father is in the Son. this is what he says down in verse 21. You are in me, and the Son is in the Father, I in you. That is unique, but that they also may be in us. As I've said before, when we look at at Colossians 127, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's not enough room in my carcass for a five-foot-six-inch Jewish man. So it's spiritual. It's a spiritual reality. And he says, I want them to have the same sort of unity among themselves that we have between ourselves and essential unity in us that they will be spiritually united. Jesus is praying that all who trust in him we will share a spiritual oneness, because the Father and the Son really do live in each and every one of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord. We were, The Father and the Son live in us. this is is startling. I mean it's I'm glad that nobody can comment on, on what I preach when I preach things like this. I mean, you're here, but it's not like you're going to get comments from YouTube or something like that. Do you realize the Trinity lives in us? The Trinity lives in us. In the person of the Holy Spirit. You remember, that's what the Lord Jesus says back in chapter 14, verse 23. Turn back there. Fourteen twenty-three. Jesus answered and said to him, I love this, he's... <laughs> He's talking to Philip, I think, still at this point. Yeah. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will guard my word. He will treasure my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. But how? How does that happen? Look up at verse 17. Talking about the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. You know Him because He abides with you and will be where? In you. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, in dwelling our spirits lives in us. Now, here's our unity. Every sinner that's been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian. Let me define Christian. Christians are those who have heard the gospel and who have put their faith in Jesus. Not in something they've done. As Alistair Begg says, if when you begin to give your testimony, the first word that comes out of your mouth is I, you've already got it wrong. A Christian is someone who, through hearing the word of God, realizes I am lost. I'm a sinner. I'm an enemy of God. I'm under the wrath of God. And then they hear the grace of God. How the Father sent the Son. And the Son came willingly. To die for wretches like us. And how the Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labored heavy laden. And that means me. And so we throw ourselves on Him and we trust Him. We don't trust the fact that I walked an aisle, that I prayed some formula of prayer, that I made some commitment. Yeah. The divorce rate in America is 50% among Christians, or professing Christians now. So much for making commitments. No. We have thrown ourselves on him. All of our hope, all of our expectation. Our whole life is in him. He's all we have. Uh, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling you're it that's the Christian someone who has been born again by the spirit of God and by hearing the word of God and as a newborn person receives Jesus as Lord and trust in him and him alone not walking an aisle not baptism not the church not Mary not the mass no That is not Christianity. That is not Christian. But backing up. Having gone through that little rant. Every Christian. Everyone who has heard the gospel. And repented and received Jesus Christ as Lord. And are trusting in him and him alone to save them. And who have confidence in him. Because we know who he is. Every one of us. Has the same God living in us. That's what Jesus is praying for. That we'll be one in spirit. Mm. Same father. Same savior. Same holy transforming spirit living in us. That's what it means to be one. And as Eric has hit several times in Colossians three, verse eleven, that does away with all distinctions between races and nations and backgrounds and gender. I didn't say genders because there's only two, but there's now no. Dis- Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are one with us. Our brothers and sisters in Iraq. Are one with us. Our brothers and sisters in the people's republic of China. Are one with us. Our brothers and sisters in Zimbabwe. Are one with us. Now here's. This is where it starts getting a little tight. Everyone who has been born of the spirit. And has received Jesus as Lord. Lord is one with us. We have the same Holy Spirit in us. We have the same Father and Son living inside of us. Even if there are errors in their doctrine. Now, they can't be serious errors, otherwise they wouldn't be Christians. They have their Christology right. They have their anthropology right. They have their their proper theology right. But even if they are, have an error in their understanding of what baptism is, or how it's to be applied, or when it's to be applied, or to whom it's to be applied, they're still one with us. Even if they're skewed on their doctrine of spiritual gifts, and they believe that the signed gifts are still in operation today, they're still one with us. Even if they don't have the truth of the sovereignty of God and the applications of the sovereignty of God in everything, including salvation, down pat. Or even if they're off on the deep end, to the left of it, and utterly Arminian, but not thoroughly Pelagian. They are one with us. I remember Bill Graham in a, a meeting. In upstate New York. Oh. This is a hundred years ago now it seems. Back in the 80's. The 1980's. Uh, and Bill Graham making the comment. After he had taught one day. And he said. Brothers let's be patient with our Arminian brothers. Because we came to the doctrines of grace. By grace. Not by intelligence. Yeah they are one with us uh, as you know I used to enjoy having lunch with, with Dr. Roberts about once a month and we would have these fantastic stimulating conversations and of course they would always come back to church polity and baptism <laughs> but we're one it, I have uh, well charismatic friends I don't, I don't think I have any Pentecostal friends here but I have charismatic friends, and they still believe the sign gifts are, are functioning today, but they trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And they believe the sign gifts still remain useful, perhaps for the wrong reasons, but they still trust the Lord Jesus Christ. They're one with us. Hmm. We are one in Christ. We who are one in Christ are intentionally, gladly his. That's what makes us one. We are his. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Who is he talking to? He's talking to all of those who will receive his Lord through the testimony of the apostles. That we're all branches in the one vine. We're all partaking of the same sap. And the same nutrients. We all have the same Lord. He is living in each and every one of us. And that's what makes us one people. One bride. One, one temple. And we recognize one another, all who are one with us, because our chief joy is glorifying the Father by glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Now, what is that glory? Well, you have to go back up to verse 4. We talked about this before. Jesus says, I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. The glory that he says he's given to us is that we have the privilege of revealing who the Father really is. It used to be, and maybe we can take it for granted in Eagle Springs and in Hamlet, but the, if you go to Raleigh and Charlotte, you certainly can't take it for granted. That when you start to talk to people about God, the God that you're talking about, they understand is the God of the Bible. Well, in America today, that, that's not necessarily true. And especially once you get outside the Bible belt. Because everybody has their own notion of what sort of God God is. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, I have finished the work that you have given me to do, which was he revealed to his disciples and he revealed to the world just exactly what sort of God the Father is, who the Father is, his character, his characteristics. Mm. And he was delighting. In the Father for who He is. Our joy, the joy He's given us, the glory He's given us, is that we get to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ for who He really is. Not who people think He is, but for who He really is. And delighting in Him for who He really is. Which then in turn reveals the Father for who He really is. Have I been with you so long, Philip, and you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen, finish it, the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ finished that work of revealing who the Father is in himself. We get to reveal the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ as we explain to the world and we testify to the world. We glory in who he is. And reveal him for who he really is. Mm. So, why all this emphasis on our unity? What's the purpose of this that the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about? Look at verse 21. Purpose clause. That they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23. I and them and you and me, that they may be completed, perfected or completed in unity, so that the world, purpose clause, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What's the purpose? You notice Jesus says the same thing twice in three verses that the world may believe that you sent me, that the world may know that you sent me. Same thing. The purpose of our unity is to glorify God. Because when we reveal who God is, God the Father is, by revealing who the Lord Jesus Christ is, I mean, that's the gospel. The gospel of the world that he gave his only begotten son as a sacrifice, as a slaughter. That he poured out all of his wrath on his son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life so that sinners might live forever in paradise with him what a God when we reveal who the Lord Jesus Christ is what he has actually accomplished we reveal who the father is in him and people have to stand back and say what a God that he would do such a thing as that hmm 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Now I know that my LSB says, Behold how great a love. But, no, it's not how great. It's patate, uh, which means what kind. I mean, what kind of love is this? That kind of love glorifies the Father when people hear it and receive it. there's another purpose for our unity. And that's evangelism. Because when, look down at verse 23 again. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now who's the them? The them is all those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostles' Word. But the world sees who Jesus is, sees who the Father is through our testimony. And they realize this God really does love them, He's converted them, He's called them. His son has died for them. And I know what they were. And if he would die for them, maybe he died for me. And we get to tell him, trust him and he has. Yes. Trust him and he has died for you. Mm. Now that's the first request. That's like I said, tonight we're not going to get all the way through this. The second request is in verses 24 through 26. or excuse me, verse 24. We're not going to verse 26 tonight. The second request is that they may be with me where I am to see my glory. This is Jesus praying this for us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me Before the foundation of the world. This is the fine, in this final line, this is our guarantee of heaven. Who's the they? It's those whom you have given me. Well, who has the Father given the Lord Jesus Christ? It's those who believe in him through the apostles' words. Everyone who the father gave to his son. And therefore because the father has given them to his son. And God is sovereign. Everyone given will hear the gospel. They may hear it from an assemblies of God evangelists. But hopefully they're going to hear it from some of us. Everyone that the father has given his son. Will hear the gospel. And by grace will believe. The gospel, and we'll become willing, thankful subjects of King Jesus. And He asked that they might be with Him. My conviction is every sermon ought to end with grace, every sermon ought to end up glorifying God for His grace. And I sit here and think about how have I failed? the Lord Jesus. How many times have I failed the Lord Jesus? How have I failed? How has my wicked mind strayed into sin today? Today on the Lord's day, driving home from worship. How have I strayed into sin? How is it that I keep fighting the same sins over and over and over again? How is it that I never have reached the point where I can say it is finished? Why is it that in me, that is in my flesh, no good dwells? And he wants me with him? Yeah. He wants the likes of us with him, where he is. Now, where is he? Well, he's already said up here earlier in verse 11 that he's coming to the father and in verse 2 of chapter 14 he said he's going to his father's house so where is it that he wants us to be with him in his father's house Who, who is it that's asking the father for this it's the eternal son is this going to be answered affirmatively you better believe it and the purpose for this why does he want us with him So that they may see my glory. Which you have given me. Now this is the end. We're getting really close to the end. So perk up. So that we may see the glory. Of Jesus. The God man. God the son. In his pre-incarnate state. From all of eternity. Has shared in. And shared with the glory of the Father. Co-equally, they are glorious. And from all of eternity, the pre-incarnate Son, who has no name other than Son at this time. By his right as God, enjoyed the Shekinah of the Father. It was his right to enjoy that glory. To be glorified. To radiate that Shekinah with the Father. That overwhelming brilliance. Out of pure unveiled holiness. And pure unrestrained omnipotence. What Hebrews says. That he was. The brilliance of the Father's glory. Jesus was the brilliance. Well, I'm just contradicting myself there. The Son was the brilliance of the Father's glory. And it was his right as God the Son to be glorified by the angels and by everyone else. But this is a glory that's so intense. This is a glory that's, as Timothy says, First Timothy the unapproachable glory of god he dwells in unapproachable glory that even the cherubim who are around his throne who are if you will the royal bodyguard of yahweh as if he needs one what do they do they cover their feet they cover their eyes they can't bear to look all that glory and even the Representation of the cherubim, those, those molded cherubim on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant. Their wings touch, but their faces look down toward the mercy seat, symbolizing the fact that they can't look into his glory either. And Jesus says, I want them to be with me, so they, those I bought, those who trusted me, those you gave me, may see my glory that is staggering daniel says we're going to shine like the sun and we get excited about that and there's some people get excited about the fact that our glorified bodies allegedly will be able to walk through walls or allegedly fly or allegedly do some other things we'll we'll find out when we get them that's nice That's like golden streets. That's nice. The fact is, we get to look into the face of eternal God in all of his glory. When Jesus says, I want them to be, I will that they be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. Our faces won't be turned down. He is going to transform us so much into his image in the twinkling of an eye that we are invited to look into that glory and enjoy him and bask in him and exult in him forever. That's what he's praying for us. Mm. But God the Son had to become Jesus. In order to save us, in order to purchase us, he had to become incarnate. And when he became a human, he became really a human. I'm going to say something that sounds weird. He became only a human. He wasn't a, a, a different kind of human. He was a human just exactly like us. One of the ancient heresies said that God is one essence, humanity is another essence, and Jesus is a third kind of thing. No. He's truly man. And truly God. But he's not some kind of superman. So when he was born, he had to leave all that glory behind. Because he came to us as man. Merely man. Not Some kind of special angelic man, but one of us. And that's why he had to ask his father earlier, at the beginning of here, verse 5. Restore to me the glory I had with you before the world began. Because he left it. And now he's the God man. And he's about to return to his father at his father's house. And his father is going to restore to him as the God-man. The only man who has ever had this divine, essential, Yahweh, Shekinah, glory. He's going to restore all of it to him. And we get to see it as our brother, as our savior, as our king. As, if I can be so bold, as one of us sitting in his father's throne, omnipotent, sovereign over the entire universe, every created being bowing down to him, an innumerable multitude, though, being drawn up to him. To gaze into his glory. That they may be with me where I am as Jesus. The man that was crucified. The man that was humiliated. The man that was raised from the dead. The man who ascended into heaven. The man that they thought was just some kind of a prophet. Just some kind of special son. And if they have any questions about who I am. This is going to settle it. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 17? We're told that the eleven met with Jesus on the mountain that he had appointed for them and they worshiped him. Good move. Yes, that's what we're going to do. But some doubted. What do you mean they doubted? They doubted because they're good Jews. They doubted because they know Yahweh. They doubted because they know their Bible. Yeah, you shall worship no one but Yahweh. So why are they doubting? Should we be doing this? Should we be worshiping Jesus? Is this... I mean, he's raised from the dead. He, we know he really is God's son. I mean, all those doubts are done away with. But should we worship him? Because we're supposed to only worship Yahweh, God. If there's any question lurking in the back of anyone's mind who has received Jesus as Lord, when we see him in his glory, that's going to be done away with. He will be vindicated in front of all that are his. That's a good place for us to stop tonight. To think... What he has prayed for us. That we would be one. Not one and one church organization. Not one universal Presbyterian church. Or one universal Baptist church. But that we would be one in spirit. This is what would blow the world away. How can the Baptists love the Presbyterians the way they do? How can the Presbyterians love the Charismatics the way they do? How can these who differ so much in the, these, can I say it, non-essential doctrines, as if there is such a thing as the non-essential doctrine, but you know what I mean? How can they love one another like this? They have conferences, they have debates. They, they have public debates and they invite everybody to come and listen. And they de- debate these doctrines and they, and they get heated. And at the end of it, they embrace each other and love each other and worship the same Christ. <sighs> Maybe there's something to this. Maybe we need to listen. Father, I pray that they may be, may be one, even as we are one. and that they may be with me where I am to look me in the face and relish my glory to you be glory forever and ever Mm. stand with me glory be to the Father And to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Amen. And we're dismissed.